updated it seems during the week and I switched on today and you wouldn't allow me to log into the account. Uh, Ravi's away until next week hence the issue and on top of that this will be an interesting class because I lost my, all my work this morning on my laptop <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm uh, surrendering to the self that guides me to give a good class so no notes. Any questions before we start? Okay, if everyone has their mic off, great. Okay, great. So we finished chapter three last week, and we're now starting chapter four. And these chapters, they follow each other. Yeah, there is a logical um, um logical uh what's the word i'm using for development from one chapter to another yeah and that's how you need to read it this chapter chapter four is called a yoga of renunciation <coughs> action in wisdom let me just mute uh mute here we go And the first topic is called self is eternal teacher. So in the last two chapters, the Lord gives Arjuna the knowledge of karma yoga, the path of action. Remember the Gita is a conversation between Lord Krishna and Arjuna. They were friends. Arjuna didn't know that Krishna had this knowledge. Arjuna didn't know that Krishna, his friend, was self-realized. He just saw him as a buddy, as a friend. He went to him for wisdom. Wisdom about life, about the war, how to behave, how to act. He was a source of wisdom. Arjuna was a man of action. Hence the knowledge of how to reduce your vasanas, your desires through action, to become one with the self, was given out. In this chapter, we discuss the 12 yajnas, very interesting, meaning 12 sacrifices. How through the practice of these sacrifices, we gain wisdom. That'll be a bit later on in this chapter. How through the practice of these 12 sacrifices, we gain wisdom. The knowledge we gain turns into wisdom. When we gain wisdom, we develop renunciation. What do we mean by renunciation? Anyone? What do we mean by renunciation? Everything leads to renunciation. What is, so it's important that we understand this word renunciation. What does it mean? Any idea? 
What, what does renunciation mean? It's a long word. Renunciation. And it's important that we understand this word. What do we renounce? Let's think about this. What is it that we renounce? What is renunciation? Knowledge leads to wisdom. Wisdom leads to renunciation. This is on the path of becoming self-realized. So what is this? So renunciation, knowledge you understand, wisdom you understand. So what is renunciation? Let's think about it. Someone have a stab at it. Deepa, renunciation, any idea? I renounce my husband. <laughs> I hope not. Hey? <laughs> what is the it's, word? Uh, it's when you take, uh, when you gain the knowledge and you take up the higher knowledge. So you drop your, you get, you, you're taking up the higher. Yeah. And what, what if you're taking up the higher, what you're dropping? Is, Working towards the self. Yeah. You're halfway there. Knowledge, knowledge of the self. Yeah. And um, so. Recording in progress. What are we renouncing? You're renouncing. The lower. Very the, good. Um, Very good. So as in. Good attempt, Deepa. Good attempt, thank you. Renunciation means as you go higher up, you, go, you drop the lower. You're playing with toys. You're still playing with toys? Just not do you still play with toys? Your dollies and poly, you've renounced that because you now have a husband and a family. You're taking up something higher. <laughs> you renounce toys. Yeah, so when you gain something, when you go, when you try to gain something higher, the lower falls away. The knowledge of toys. Okay, you no longer need toys. You've taken up knowledge of the higher family work. You, you, you renounce the lower. You no longer play with your friends. You no longer play with your toys. So you're renouncing that. So renunciation means dropping the lower because you've gone higher up. You become withdrawn on the spiritual path. You become withdrawn from where? Any idea where, what do you become withdrawn from? We said the lower, what is the lower as far as spiritual development is concerned? Your attachment to the world. The world. When we say renunciation, we become withdrawn from the world. As we develop on the spiritual path, we become withdrawn from the world. Does that make sense, Dharmesh? Everybody, renunciation. So knowledge turns into wisdom. Wisdom develops renunciation means renouncing the world. That is the lower. The higher is the self. What keeps us in the world? 
what keeps us in the world? Uh, I don't know, Ben. Our vasanas and desires. Our vasanas and desires. So what keeps us in the world is our vasanas and desires. So we're all on the same page now. So through the practice of renunciation, we reduce our desires. Practice of yoga, yoga, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, jnana yoga. We renounce our desires. And when we renounce our desires, we become withdrawn from the world. See, you've all been coming to these classes. This is our 48th class of the Gita. Those of you who are seriously studying, uh, following, listening to podcasts, you will develop a certain renunciation as you follow this knowledge. You'll say, you know what? I don't want to go out today. I don't need to go out today. I'm happy. I'm content. I don't need this. I'm happy. I'm content. Why? Because this knowledge is developing renunciation in you, which then slowly you become withdrawn from the world. These are small things at the moment. I'm not going to argue with my husband. It's not worth it. Yeah, these are simple things. But this knowledge allows you to develop yourself. Any questions here on renunciation? It's important that we understand it. That this develops naturally as you take on this knowledge. So this is chapter four. In chapter five, we discuss our spiritual development. And in chapter six, we discuss meditation and how through the practice of meditation, we become self-realized. So you see how it's progressing. Karma yoga, Krishna, Lord Krishna explained to Arjuna, karma yoga. As Arjuna practices karma yoga, he develops wisdom. As he develops wisdom, he becomes renounced from the world. After renunciation, you develop spiritually, and then meditation, you become self-realized. And that's in chapter six. Is everyone okay with that? Yeah, any questions? Self is eternal teacher. This is the name of this topic. What does that mean? Any idea? Self is eternal teacher. What can that mean? Okay, let's not worry about that. We'll move on. What does yoga mean? Yoga means to join, to unite, to become one. Yeah, we all covered this in, in the previous classes. Yoga means to join, to unite, to become one. Yeah. In English, it is called religion. Let's first do chapter one. <coughs> okay, first one. Shri Bhagavan Uvacha. Imam vivasvate yogam proktavanaham avyayam vivasvan manave praha manuriksvakave bravet shri bhagavanu vacha imam vivasvate yogam 
प्रोक्तावानाहमव्यवस्वान्मनवे प्राहानुरीक्वाकवे ब्रवेत The blessed Lord said, "I declared this imperishable yoga to Vivasvan. Vivasvan taught it to Manu. Manu taught it to Ixvaku." The blessed Lord said, "I declared this imperishable yoga to Vivasvan. Vivasvan taught it to Manu. Manu taught it to Ixvaka." So yoga means to join. to unite to become one this is what the blessed lord said i have taught yoga meaning to join to unite to become one as i said in english it is called religion to join with what what is this yoga to join with what i taught this yoga join with what anyone dharmesh the self the self you the individual person have separated from your true personality your godhood brahman the self you've all we all of us have separated from our true personality and what is the cause of this separation aruna ben what is the cause of this separation you just said it in the last answer yeah because of our desires desires our vasna because of our worldly desires we've separated from the self we've created this ego this ego of the body mind intellect in our ignorance so by practicing the technique of yoga you reduce your vasnas then eventually your ego and the self and you become one you become one with the self your ego becomes one with the self so yoga that is referred to here in this verse is the knowledge that lord krishna has given to us in chapter 2 and 3 he gave us knowledge in chapter 2 and 3 of karma yoga that is the yoga he is referring to yeah karma yoga bhakti yoga gyana yoga all of them help you to reunite with the self based on your personality three different paths for for the different people that are in this world different path for different personalities any questions does everyone understand that logic Krishnabin does that make sense? Yeah. Chandresh makes sense. You have separated from your true personality. You're now attached to everything. So when you practice yoga it helps you to get back to your true personality. This knowledge is said to be imperishable, eternal, everlasting. meaning this knowledge never changes this knowledge never changes even though it was given out maybe 3 4000 years ago i don't know when the gita was written the knowledge was relevant then 
It is applicable now. It has always been there. It is a law of life. Therefore, this knowledge is imperishable because it is applicable in all periods of time. Any questions? So thousands of years ago, someone was studying the same knowledge as we are now. It's applicable to all mankind. Urnaben, could you read paragraph one, please? The chapter begins with Lord Krishna declaring that he taught this imperishable yoga to Vivasan, that Vivasan imparted it to Manu and Manu imparted it to Ikswaku. Imam means this, Avyayam means imperishable. Yoga is derived from the root yuj, meaning to join, to unite. The word yoga, therefore, implies a joining or uniting. That is the union of the lower with the higher consciousness, the merging of the individuality with Brahman, with God. You are separated from Godhead by Vasna's thoughts, desires. Remove Vasna's thoughts, desires. You become one with God. Yoga, therefore, is a technique for removing Vasna's a technique by which your ego merges with the Supreme Self. This yoga thus refers to the knowledge Krishna has imparted in the second and third chapters. It is said to be imperishable because of its universal applicability in all periods of time. Thank you. Krishna declares to Arjuna that I taught this yoga the way to remove vasanas, the merging of the individual with Brahman, in the past to Vivasvan, Vivasan, sorry, in the past to Vivasan, and Vivasan taught it to Manu, and then Manu taught it to Iskvaku. Now these, and it has been continued to be passed down to others. So these are great ancient personalities. It'll explain who they are. And Krishna uses it to impress Arjuna to the value of this knowledge the value of this knowledge that the Lord is giving him. It's like saying, I gave this knowledge to Newton. He gave this knowledge to Einstein. Now I am giving it to you. Einstein taught it to me, now I'm giving it to you. Then you'll say, wow, Einstein, that's the lineage? Yeah, if you're a scientist, you'd be saying, wow, Einstein taught it to you. Newton taught it to him, I need to know this. It gives you the value of this knowledge. You're impressed. So Arjuna is impressed. Wow, Manu, Isvaku, these are all self-realized souls and you're passing me the same knowledge? This is what he's saying. I passed it on to these great saints and now I'm teaching you. A question should arise in everyone's mind now. Lord Krishna is telling Arjuna, what do you think Arjuna is thinking? He's impressed, but what is he thinking? Any idea? Remember in the beginning I said, Krishna, Arjuna, friends. 
Yeah, Anubin. Well, that how did Krishna, was he even alive at that time? And how was he possible to pass that knowledge on at that time? Yeah. In verse 4, Arjuna asks this question. Krishna, how did you teach these guys? You weren't born then. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. Right now, Arjuna is really impressed, saying, wow, I'm, you're teaching me this knowledge, this great knowledge. But he asks later on, when he comes back to his senses, how on earth did you teach them? But we'll, we'll, we'll come to that when the time, when the, we cover that first. So he's saying, I declared this imperishable yoga to Vivasvan. I represent the self. It is the self in the individual that conveys the knowledge. Very, very important. When Krishna uses the letter I, I gave out this knowledge. He doesn't mean Lord Krishna. He means the self. The self is the eternal teacher. This is a topic. The self teaches itself to everybody. Remember last week, class, we said, when you say I, you mean the self. When you say, I am tall, I am a man. When you say, I'm an Indian, I'm a housewife. I'm a hairdresser, I'm a businessman. I am a dreamer, I'm a waker. The I represents the self. You know the housewife, you know the businessman, you know the waker, the dreamer, but you don't know what the I is. Yep, you have, we have all separated from the I. So all efforts to get back to this I is what we're talking about here called yoga. A master, a guru can only give out the knowledge of the self to the extent that he has unfolded the self within him. Does that make sense? You can only give out the knowledge of the self based on how much you have unfolded the self within you. So a self-realized person has unfolded the self 100%. And he can teach this knowledge. Lord Krishna is a self-realized soul. Swami Ramatita, Swami Tapavan, all these great sages, self-realized. That's why they can talk about the self. You can talk of the self because you're learning here, but it'll just be knowledge-based. You truly haven't unfolded the self. Hence the title of this topic is Self is Eternal Teacher. Any questions? I may go one way or the other, so please clarify, yeah, if I've... Uh, like I said, I don't have notes today, so I don't have a fixed lineage that I follow today. Does that make sense? Self is the eternal teacher. The self teaches. When you talk, when Lord Krishna talks, it's the self talking in him. When I'm talking of the self to you all, it's not me, Aniket Patel, talking to you. The self within is talking to you. I can't take any credit for it. 
The self is the eternal teacher. Urnabin, paragraph two, please. Krishna declares, I, Aham, taught this imperishable yoga. When an enlightened person uses Aham, I, he means the Supreme Self, Atman. All prophets liberally use the first person singular pronoun, I. They meant the self. In fact, they had transcended the body-mind intellect and merged with the self. They were the self alone, nothing else. Therefore, Aham here refers to the self in an individual. Spiritual knowledge can be imparted only to the extent one has unfolded the self. Any, any master who has completely unfolded the self in realization can communicate the entire self. The verse refers to the lineage of self-realized souls who communicated this great knowledge. Krishna taught it to Vivaswan, Vivaswan taught it to Manu, and Manu to Ikswaku. Vivaswan was the sun god. Manu was the son of Vivaswan, the ancient lawgiver of India, ancestor of the solar dynasty. Ikswaku was the first king of the solar dynasty. The mention of these great and ancient personalities inspired Arjuna with a profound respect and regard. By using these names, Krishna glorifies the value of the yoga imparted. Thank you. Any questions? So these were great saints. It's like how we say Swami Chinmayananda, Swami Tapavan, Swami Patasati. All these great saint, saints taught the knowledge of the self, and now we're learning it from him. And Pisan will say, wow, I know that saint. He did tapas for 60 years in the Himalayas. One with the self. Verse 2. Evam param para praptam imam raja sayo viduhu Sakale neha mahata yogo nasta parantapa evam param para praptam imam raja sayo viduhu Sakale neha mahata yogo nasta parantapa Thus handed down in succession the king sages knew this. This yoga, by long lapse of time, has been lost here, O Parantapa. In the past, this knowledge was handed down from guru to student. The parents is to send their kids to a master. He may have been in the Himalayas, wherever he may be. And this is the knowledge that the master would teach these students as young as eight or nine years old. And this is the way they conveyed the knowledge. Maybe seven, eight students the master would have. And, he would, and they would be there for maybe a couple of years teaching the students. This knowledge has handed down from guru to student, from father to son. This was the tradition in those days. 
Swami Tapavan gave this knowledge to Swami Chinmayananda. Swami Chinmayananda went up to the Himalayas. He was a reporter to find out of these fake gurus. So he went to a couple of gurus and said, I want to uh, interview. I want to meet a, a guru, proper guru. And they sent him to Swami Tapavan. And he's trying to find out if this Swami is fake. And he ended up staying there for how many years learning. He came down and he taught. He taught to Swami Patasati. I went to the ashram, studied three years. Swami Patasati taught it to me. Now I'm teaching it to you. So it's guru student parampara. This is how this knowledge is taught. There are four ways to get knowledge. Yeah, this, this verse is saying there's four ways of getting knowledge. The first way is direct perception. How do we gain knowledge of direct perception? Any idea? What is direct perception? Four ways we can gain knowledge. Direct perception. So your five senses. Five senses. Direct perception using our sense organs. We, with our eyes, we see color and form. Nose, we smell. Ears, we hear. Taste. With our tongue, we taste. With our hands, we touch. This is how we gain knowledge from the world. Have you seen the Eiffel Tower? No, I have not. So you take the Eurostar or flight, go and see the Eiffel Tower. Now you have seen it, you have touched it, and now you know it, direct perception. But you can't get knowledge of the self this way. You can't see, hear, touch, taste the self. So we can't use our senses to gain knowledge of the self. Second is anumana, inference. What is inference? You see smoke and you assume that there is a fire, even though you can't see the flames. From the smoke, you infer that there is a fire. This is knowledge through inference. You can use this method to gain some understanding of the self. You see a rainbow, you see Niagara Falls, it reminds you, oh my God. You say, oh my God, look at Niagara Falls. Reminds you of the self, reminds you of God. Anumana, inference. Emma, could you read the, up to um, point three, please? From time immemorial, this yoga, the technique of union with the Supreme Self, was handed down in succession from preceptor to discipline, from disciple. father, so, sorry, disciple, from father to son. The preceptor, disciple, lineage, known as Guru Sisya Parampara, was the most respected source of knowledge. Knowledge can be gained from our distinct sources. One, pratyaksa, direct perception. When your sense organs contact the respective sense objects, you gain knowledge from seeing, hearing, smelling, 
tasting and touching. Two, anumana, inference. You gain knowledge of something that your senses do not perceive directly by making an, inf an inference based on something else which they do perceive. For example, your eyes see smoke, but not the fire. Though you have not seen the fire, you infer its existence. Thank you. The third is upamana, comparison. So here we get knowledge for the process of comparison. Russia is, compared to Ukraine, is 10 times bigger. Comparison. You get some idea. He is fierce as Mike Tyson. All know what Mike Tyson, the boxer? This person is as fierce as Mike Tyson. Comparison. You gain knowledge for comparison. This perfume smells like roses. Comparison. Another way of gaining knowledge. The fourth way, agama, tradition. What is this? Another way of gaining knowledge, tradition. Which is what we're talking about here. Great sages passed on this knowledge. Parampara, guru to student, father to son. Another way of gaining knowledge, tradition. Emma, can you continue please? Emma, your mic is off. Sorry, apologies. Upama, comparison. Zivaji, the Maratha chief of India, was compared to a tiger. This communicates that he was as powerful and dreadful to his enemies as a tiger is to its prey in the jungle. Agama, tradition. The great sages of ancient times imparted their knowledge through the preceptor disciple lineage because of its source and having stood the test of time. This knowledge commanded the greatest respect and regard. In this verse, Krishna refers to the traditional source of knowledge. The royal sages gained knowledge of the self. In ancient India, the kings themselves led saintly lives. They practiced great dis discipline, did penance, and mastered the knowledge of Vedanta. They handed down the sacred knowledge to their successors. Krishna points out to Arjuna, Parantapa, the loss of this supreme knowledge over a long lapse of time. The Guru Sisya Parampara gradually broke down over time and the knowledge was no longer passed on. The breakdown of the lineage deprived humanity of the divine message. Immorality and barbarity crept into society. This, in fact, brings us to the present state of our world riddled with sorrow and misery. Even the great kings in the past knew this knowledge. Even they led a disciplined, saintly life, and they passed it down to their children to continue running their kingdom based on the foundation of this knowledge. But this last paragraph is very interesting. This 
the loss of the supreme knowledge over a long lapse of time. This knowledge is hardly available to anyone. The Guru Shishya Parampara gradually broke down over time. This knowledge was no longer passed on. You go to India in the olden days, this knowledge was everywhere. Slowly, slowly, gradually, gradually deteriorated. No longer passed down. Therefore, this knowledge was deprived from humanity. Now, what is the state of our world? I'm always saying to Sittal, this world has gone mad. Everything that's going on in our world at the moment, this world has gone mad. I can't believe just in the 50 years how much it has deteriorated. If you think back, however, however whatever your age is, just in your lifetime, how it has deteriorated. Immortality. This was written thousands of years ago, and it's saying immorality and barbarity, barbarity crept into society thousands of years ago, and the state of it now. A world is riddled with sorrow and misery. Can anyone disagree with that? A world is riddled with sorrow and misery. You can disagree with it if you wish. Dermish. Sorrow and misery in this world. Yeah, I'm invoking some, we're waking up Dermish here. He's been very quiet this class. Dermish, go on. But it's always been there all the time since vastness existed is why mm. we're here mm. so misery away from the self is misery absolutely from a from an absolute perspective Dharmesh is right we're all experiencing misery but what it's saying here that when this knowledge was given out and everyone knew this knowledge even though people had vastness they had vastness to reach the self they didn't have vastness for killing Stealing, bombing. You with me, Dharmesh? They didn't have vastness for that. The vastness were spiritual vastness. Yeah. I disagree with you there because mm. if you what, what I read the Mahabharat, you see the killing, the you know how people were trying to kill each other, trying to be sneaky. So it's all there. Why is it there? Because people forgot the self. They, they, they want power and fame. The world is made of pairs of opposites. There has to be good and evil in the world for the world to be what it is. Yeah. But what we're saying is when this knowledge was around, okay, relatively compared to now, yeah, things were a lot better. There may have been people killing each other still, because the world is made of pairs of opposites. But this knowledge has lost its immorality now. People have become immoral, highly selfish. Brother will kill brother. Families torn apart. Even when they are fighting, the families were together to a certain extent. Five brothers are together. 
So relatively, the world now, due to the lack of this knowledge, has got much worse. This is why this is called Kalyug, 532,000 years, is it? I think it's something like that. For 532,000 or something like that, don't quote me, this world is in the state of Kalyug, meaning it's the worst of the four yugs. So this breakdown of Guru Shishya Parampara, knowledge passed down, yeah, has been lost. And when I say to all of you, you don't realize how lucky you all are. Yeah? This is the reason. Because for whatever karma you have done in the past, yeah, you have come across this knowledge, just like I have come across this knowledge. Yeah? So in that sense, all of us are very fortunate to come across this subject. Because it's no way around anymore. You cannot learn it. It's very difficult to learn. There aren't many gurus around alive to teach it. So something past, based on your past karma that you're exposed to this subject. So don't forget that. And now you have been exposed. Grab it. Put in effort. Learn it. Otherwise, you're wasting, wasting your time. And I can't express that enough. Any questions? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify something. I don't know if I heard it right. Yeah. When you said about direct perception, mm -hmm. um, did you say that you can't get gain the self through this perception? For knowledge, knowledge of the self, you can't taste the self. You can't... Um, but by seeing uh, and reading, yeah. Yeah. certainly... My so, senses. Also, you can through reading and gaining knowledge that way, so through seeing, yeah. but not, not through the other sense. Okay. Yeah. From the Thank five, you. you can't touch the self. Yeah. You can't use your five senses to gain knowledge of the self this is what it's saying you can't gain knowledge of the self through any of the five senses see you may read but what what when you read where does it go into your mind and mind and intellect intellect yeah which are more subtle than the five senses so we're saying in that uh ver paragraph with just the five senses you can't gain this knowledge of the self you can't gain the self Okay. Mind okay. and intellect is very different. Right. Okay, thank you. No problem. Any other questions? Yeah, you can't see the self. The five senses. Okay, let's do the next first. Sa eva yamaya tedya yoga prokta puratanaha bhakto si me saka chedi rahasyam yetadatmamam sa eva yamaya tedya yoga prokta 
पुरातन भक्सी मे सचेती रहस्यम ये तदुत्तमम That same ancient yoga has today been imparted to you by me. You are my devotee and friend, and this indeed is the supreme secret. This is Lord Krishna talking to Arjuna, by the way. He's saying that same ancient yoga that was taught to those great sages has today been imparted to you by me, Arjuna. Why? Because you are my devotee. You are my friend. This is indeed supreme secret. Krishna is telling Arjuna, "I'm teaching you the same knowledge in the past. I taught to all these other great people because you're my friend, someone who is trusted, who will sacrifice for you. You, they are close, very dear friends to you. One who surrenders to the Guru. Okay, they will appreciate this knowledge. You will teach them." Seeker needs to have two qualifications to learn this knowledge: surrender, devotion. Krishna states this knowledge is a supreme secret. What does that mean? Supreme secret? Any idea? Supreme secret. Say, tell you all this knowledge is supreme secret. Yeah, Deepa. Is it that because not a lot of people have the knowledge of it, it's a secret? Yeah, that's one aspect of it. Not a lot of people know this knowledge. A lot of people, a lot of people don't want to know the knowledge. <laughs> yeah, because they're not ready for it. Uh, so that's one aspect of a secret. It's very rarely known. Dharmesh. When you say supreme, it's the most important secret of of your life. You need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's a, still a secret. Both ways is a secret. Arunamen, you're you're very close, by the way. Is it because we haven't discovered the most supreme knowledge, the self? Absolutely. Yeah. We have not discovered it. You're discovering it now, slowly. is beyond our body mind and intellect the not the self is beyond the body mind and intellect what do we use the body mind and intellect for contacting the world nothing beyond that everything we do is to contact the world we don't think what's beyond the world we don't think what's beyond the intellect we don't think what is this atman brahman we never think of that the thought never crosses our mind So it's a secret. People don't want to know. People have no vasna for it. That's why, as I said, you all have a vasna for this knowledge. That's why it's, it's important that you you actually um, fulfill that vasna to the fullest. It's not a secret to you all. You know, beyond the body, mind, intellect is the self. We've been telling that for the last how many years we've been running this class, so it's no longer a secret for you. All. But for other people, they'll be saying, "What are you talking about? God is not in me. God is outside. I go to a temple to see God every day." 
Oh, no, man. Did you read? Krishna declares that he is teaching Arjuna the same ancient knowledge which he had in the past taught Vivaswan, the sun god. The Lord gives two reasons for imparting the knowledge to him. Arjuna is his devotee, Bhakta, and his friend, Sakha. A devotee... A devotee is one who has surrendered to the Guru in devotion. Arjuna qualifies for that status with his complete surrender in devotion to Krishna in verse 7 of chapter 2. A friend is one who trusts you and will sacrifice for you. Arjuna also qualifies as a true friend of Krishna in that sense. A disciple must have these two qualifications of devotion and friendship if he wishes to gain knowledge from a preceptor. Krishna feels satisfied with Arjuna's competence to receive the sacred knowledge. Hence, he declares his pleasure in imparting it to Arjuna. Krishna states further that this knowledge is a supreme secret. A secret lies beyond the periphery of your intellect, a fact hidden from your knowledge. You know your body and its perceptions and actions. You know your mind and its feelings and emotions. You know your intellect and its thoughts and ideas. But you do not know the self within. The self remains a supreme secret to one and all. It lies beyond the cognition of the human equipments. Hence, it is considered a secret, supreme, because it is the ultimate experience the human being can aspire for and reach. Thank you, Herman. Ultimate experience for mankind. Highest experience of a human being. You may have experienced going to the moon and back. This is a higher experience than that. You think of any worldly experience, this is the highest. Secret because you only know your body, mind, intellect, and the body, mind, intellect only knows the world. This is beyond the world. This is beyond your intellect. Only way to discover it is to unfold the self by gaining this knowledge. Because only this knowledge talks about it. Hence, it's a secret. So we're all here learning this great secret. So you should all be privileged. Yeah. You can bring your friends here. They'll say, I don't want to know this. They're not ready for it. In their lifespan of lives, they're not ready for it. Any questions? The self is the eternal teacher. The knowledge of self can only come from the self, nowhere else. So even if you go to religious institutes, you go to the temple, you go to see these um, people who have knowledge, they'll very rarely talk about the self. They'll very rarely talk about Brahman Atman. They'll very rarely say that you are God. 
They believe we and God are separate. That's the fundamental difference. The Gita says you are God. But you're a fool because you don't know it. It's a secret to you. Discover that secret. You're too involved in the world. You don't know what's beyond it. So just to have the understanding that God is within me is a big development spiritually. By the time we get to 18th chapter, you'd be a true believer. If you're not already. Any clarifications? I hope uh, class was okay today. Like I said, I didn't have my notes. I'm actually using my uh, exam that I conducted in uh, the ashram, which is a, a very short version of uh, the verses. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I lost it all this morning. I uh, thought, well, either I cancel or I wing it. And I thought, decided to wing it. <laughs> so uh, no structure. <laughs> I told Sittal to keep the class questions down this, time, this class. <laughs> By the way, um, for all of you, Sittal, uh, when she asks questions in the class, she's asking to help all of you. Yeah. She also, I think we, we always appreciate it. Yeah. She also studied in the ashram for a year with me. Yeah. And so she has quite a, a lot of this knowledge as well. And when she asks questions, is to make sure that I have covered everything, that I haven't forgotten anything. Yeah. And that's the reason she asks questions. Otherwise, she can ask me privately, but she asks in the class the benefit of all of, all of the students there. You know, and credit where it's true, because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be teaching this class today. So on that note, oh, Sittal has a question. At the beginning of the class, you mentioned that, um, you know, you, you gave an example of Joshna Ben giving up her toys mm -hmm. to go to a higher. Yeah. So, for example, um, she's not playing with her teenage toys because she's now got family and yeah. other responsibilities, and she's with that. So that's a natural progression. It's not that she's given up those toys. Mm -hmm. That's a natural progression. I wouldn't expect, you know, a, a teenager to play with the same toys that they were playing when they were five years of age. Mm -hmm. So relatively, that natural progression is nothing to do with our decision. It's actually, yeah, it happens naturally. It doesn't, it, it, we're not giving up anything. Mm -hmm. So when you say giving up lower for the higher, mm -hmm. it's not a conscious effort that we're making to give up those toys. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I yeah, mean? Because yeah, you're talking about going to the higher, give, taking something higher and giving up the lower. But in that, end, in that instance, it's not that we've taken up something higher and the lower has dropped off. It's a natural progression for us to, yeah, move yeah, on in that. Good point. So when you drop your lower, yeah, it's because you don't find joy in that lower anymore. 
okay? You get the joy from your family, your partner, your children, yeah? You're now replacing that joy that you had with toys with something higher because you become wiser, yeah? You've grown up. Similarly, the comparison we made was that as you practice renunciation, as you develop on the spiritual path, you naturally give up the lower because you don't see the value in it anymore. You don't see the value in your toys anymore because you've grown out of them. And you, so you grow out of your vastness for the world. Similarly, it's a natural progression, just as you grow out of your toys. Yeah, um, as you gain your family, your name, fame, power, you grow out of your toys. Similarly, as you grow spiritually and you practice and you develop renunciation, the renunciation you're giving up is the worldly things. You find no more joy in those things, just like you don't find joy in the do dollies and pollies that you used to play with, toy cars, because you're now reveling in that enjoyment of the higher. Yeah. So that's the difference. Is that okay? So. Yeah. So then, so then, um, at the end of the class, you said, uh, "I have a vasna to learn mm -hmm. this knowledge." Yeah. So, I have a vasna to develop spiritually. Uh, don't waste mm -hmm. the vasna and develop more. So if we're thinking about what you just said about naturally dropping away, mm -hmm. if if I continue to just gain more knowledge and convert it to wisdom, mm -hmm. will the vasanas naturally drop off? Yeah. Or I have to make a conscious effort to drop them? Does everyone understand the question? So you're saying, okay, you have a vasana for the spiritual development. As I go on the path, what will happen to my vasanas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the weaker vasanas will drop off automatically. Yeah, the weaker vasanas will drop on. But the strong vasanas you have, really strong attachments and vasanas, those you will have to put in more effort. Yeah. You go out for dinner twice a week. Yeah. You stay up late. You can't get up in the morning. Those things slowly you can develop and say, okay, I need to practice. Uh, I need to study this subject first thing in the morning at 5 a.m. Okay, so those things you you might give up because the vasna for this knowledge is stronger than your vasna for staying up late or going out for dinner. So those will naturally drop off. Yeah? But your attachment to your family, attachment to your partner, attachment to um, your wealth, your name, your ego, those may take more effort. Yeah, you will have to decide. That's why some people go to an ashram and stay there forever. Because they've decided. So you're strengthening that spiritual vasana. Yeah, she, she's always testing me, I told you. She didn't prove me wrong. <laughs> Any other questions? Thomas, did you have a question? Okay. All right, so we'll meet up next week. Yeah. Hope you all enjoyed it today. Yeah. See you next week. Yes, it was a good class. Thank you very much. Welcome.